Warning. Crime Convo features potentially triggering content about real-life crimes. There will be content such as violence, crimes against children, physical abuse, sexual abuse, and death. Listener and parental discretion is strongly advised. Welcome to Crime Convo. Come and join the conversation. My name is Alyssa. I'm Destiny. And I'm Nikki. So today is a little different. I am at my aunt's house, the one who went to or had the Canadian come over. We call him Canadian Beefcake. Um, so everybody, this is my aunt, Jessie. Hello. Hello there. <laughs> so Jessie's going to introduce what we are drinking today. So today we are enjoying my favorite wine and it's called Chateau St. Michel. It's the dry Riesling. This Ooh. particular one is from the Columbia Valley and it's a 2022. Fancy. I am drinking Jack Daniels Southern Citrus right now, and then I've got a Truly here and another Truly, so. I'm drinking that Simply Spiked again this week because my friend that lives with me had some, and otherwise I would have had to go to the store because I'm lazy and didn't go buy anything. So I'm about to open it. I had to go, I stopped at Thorpe on my way over here, which is a little vegetable antique store over here in Washington, and I did buy a bottle of wine, but I didn't actually refrigerate it, and um, the wine connoisseur over here wouldn't let me open it without refrigerating it, so. It's currently in the refrigerator. It's in the wine cooler. It's I'm better sorry. chilled, The wine so. cooler. Yeah, I don't like drinking warm wine. Mm -mm. I like wine. It's good. I like wine. So too. today, I am bringing the case of Queena Fu who is a uh, local in Florida, Brandon, Florida, specifically. Uh, it is in 2008 when this incident occurs. So a little bit about Quina. Um, she has an older sister, Anna, who is three and a half years older than her. And she grew up with just her, her sister, Anna, and her mom. They always referred to themselves as the three-woman unit. Uh, Quina was described as a girl with a very big heart, um, and a very tender heart. She was always smiling, very smart, and very studious. But her sister said, not nerdy, but she she was really good in school. She volunteered with Best Buddies, where she was partnered with someone with a disability in her school, and she was their friend for a year. She was also very popular in school. She loved shopping, like any teenager. She was 18 at this time. Uh, she did work in retail at Amber Crombie and Fitch. So she was... She was definitely your typical teenager. Like I said, she had just turned 18 when this happened. Um, she was looking forward to graduating, going to college. Uh, she did have a full ride scholarship to the University of Florida. So by studio, she, she got a full ride to college, which is a big deal. She wanted to go into international business in fashion, as her mom said. Um, so at the time of this particular incident, um, what we're going to talk about later is in April of 2008, actually on her birthday, senior prom was around the corner. She was very excited. Um, her and her friends had this packed. No boys were allowed. So it was just going to be Quina and her girlfriends. Now, where I got this case initially was from the show, which if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it's on Hulu. It's called Text Me When You Get Home. And I think all of us women know that phrase, text me when you get home. What? 
whether your husband's taking you, your friends are taking you, text me when you get there. Let me know where you're at. Let me know you're home. Um, so the show is on Hulu and it does talk. I don't think I've seen any um, about any male victims, but it talks about young women, sometimes older women that go do something and their friend says, text me when you get home. And obviously they don't. And with this case in particular, like they did everything right. And you'll get all of those details as we go through, but they, they did everything right. Queena did everything right for sure. So in 2007, so the June before, the community of Tampa, Florida, is shaken by a sexual assault of a daycare worker at Knife Point. So that was something that had happened that the community hadn't gotten any resolution on yet. So that was looming in the community's mind of like, okay, there's this person out here that assaulted somebody that worked at a daycare. As a just-in-case, Quina and her best friend Rachel had basically had a conversation. I think she said it was on the school bus of like, hey, just in case something happens, like here's my family's phone number. Here's my mom's phone number. And Rachel gave Quina her mom's phone number. Like if something happens, here's our people to get a hold of because they were best friends in 18. They talked to each other all the time. So they're like, Here, here's my family's number. Call them, text them, whatever. So on April 24th in 2008, which is 10 months after that attack in Tampa at the daycare, Queena goes to work and it is on her birthday. And of course she, as an 18 year old, has a very big birthday bash, bash with her girlfriends planned. Um, that particular night, Queena works an hour extra. So she ends up getting off at about 9.45 PM and calls her best friend, Rachel, as usual. It wasn't abnormal. And she's on the phone with Rachel on her way home talking about her day. And then she says, you know, she needs to go to the library to drop off some books on her way home. So at approximately 10 PM, Queena arrives to the Bloomingdale Public Library. And Queena says to Rachel on the phone, oh, there's this weird looking guy sitting on the bench over there. Uh, make sure you stay on the phone with me. So Queena, when she went to the library, she was going to use the Dropbox, which for anybody that's familiar with Dropboxes in libraries, sometimes they're attached to the building. This particular one was a box, basically like a drive through in the parking lot. You could drive through and just drop your books into a little slot or whatever. So in theory, she didn't even need to get out of the car. But her friend Rachel, who was on the phone with her, heard her door chime, you know, that ping, ping, whatever happens when you open the door, and asked, why are you getting out of the car? Queena said her books were in the back seat, so she had to get out. At that moment, as Queena opened her back seat, Rachel heard Queena scream, and then the phone went dead. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Rachel immediately started trying to call her back, and the call went straight to voicemail. Um, a few minutes went by and Rachel had basically called another one of their friends, Priscilla, Priscilla, I'm sorry, um, that lived closer to the library and basically asked their friend to go to the library and make sure that everything was okay. So at the same time, so at about 10 p.m., mom, uh, her mom, Vanna, notices that Queen is not home. Then at about 10.20, so 20 minutes later, is when Rachel calls Vanna. Queena's mom, while Priscilla is on her way to the library and says, Miss Vanna, I think something happened to Queena. So Rachel, their friend Priscilla, and Vanna at this point are all headed to the library. Um, Anna, her sister, Queena's sister, is out with dinner with friends about a half hour away and sees that her mom called and left her a voicemail saying, sister is missing, call me back. So Anna calls her mom, who is frantic, and all, all Anna can get out of her mom is come to the library right away. 
Um, so Anna and her boyfriend at the time left. So at 10.40 p.m., so about 40 minutes later, Priscilla arrives to the library. Um, she saw Quina's car running, parked at the drop box, um, heard the radio still go- going, the door was open, and saw Quina's phone on the ground in front of the passenger seat, or I'm sorry, the, the back passenger seat door open. Oh my and that's where her phone was on the ground. Can you imagine, like, pulling up and seeing that? Like, your heart would fall to your stomach and out of your butt. Yeah. Like, yeah. How do you... Yeah. What do you even do in that situation? Like, I mean, ov- other than obviously immediately call 911, but, like, run around like a chicken with a head cut off? I mean... So, she just got out of her car to grab the books, and that's Yeah, she had literally... It? opened the door, the back door behind the driver's side to get the books out of the backseat of her car. And at that moment is when Rachel, who was on the phone, I'm I'm imagining she had like her phone in her shoulder, you know, kind of holding it like we do. And she heard her scream. And then the phone went dead because the phone broke in half on the ground. It makes me feel like somebody had to like have been watching her or maybe they were like at the library and just took the opportune moment to- They would have definitely have had to like- Either they thought fast or they were waiting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, I wonder, is there a resolution in this case or no? Yes, there absolutely is. And obviously, we will get there. So, of course, once Priscilla sees Queen's car and the phone, 911 is called. And while Priscilla is on the phone with 911, that's when she notices blood on the ground by by Queen's phone. So at 10.45, so five minutes later, Vanna, Queen's mother, arrives at the library. Vanna said, it looked like a very scary movie. Doors were open, music was still on, and the sound the door makes, ping, ping. She saw the phone, and then she saw the blood. So three women at this point are running around outside the library, screaming and yelling her name, trying to find her because they don't know where she is. Behind the library is very dark. So it's basically... I didn't look at the map of it, but just the pictures, like, behind the library is this big field. There's not a path. There's not any businesses. There's just a big open field and then kind of forests around. Um, As they go behind the library, that's when they see something. So at 10.50, so five minutes after Vanna gets there, her mother, um, that's when emergency responders arrive. Uh, And Quina was found in a ditch behind the library. Priscilla reaches Queena first, um, and of course, police are holding her mom, Vanna, back because she's obviously beside herself. And then at 11.15, Anna and her boyfriend arrive. That's when Anna saw what she assumed to be Queena on a stretcher being airlifted to the hospital. Anna is the friend that was on the phone? Anna is her sister. Anna's the Priscilla sister. and Rachel are her friends. Anna is the sister. Okay, so Rachel's the one that was on the phone. Yeah. So, I mean... At this point, like, they've done everything right. Rachel was on the phone with her. Queena had somebody on the phone with her. When Rachel couldn't get a hold of her, she called the first person that she could think of closest to where she knew Queena was to go there. And then she herself went there after calling Queena's mom, like, hey, something's not right. Yeah. And I don't don't think, it didn't say that she had brought up that she heard Queena scream. She just said something, something's, something's not right. Something... This isn't right. Well, they took the extra precautionary steps, too, to make sure in that situation that if, sadly, something like this happened, that someone could be there to help. So that had to be, that was a really short time frame. 
for something to happen to her with her being on the phone with somebody, them showing up to where she was at the library to them finding her body. Like that's. Mm -hmm. So based on the timeline that the, so the police obviously went through and looked at all of the, the phone like information and saw from what I, from what I can gather that basically at 10, 10 is when Queena's phone cut out at 10, 10 PM. So at 10.45 when her mom arrives, it's been 35 minutes since the phone cut off. So a half an hour since anybody was made aware on any level that something happened. So 11.15 um, is when Quina is on a stretcher being airlifted to the hospital. So detectives arrive, and of course they start taking photos like they do. They take photos of the car, of the phone, they follow the blood drops, and then they find that the blood drops go around the back of the car to the front of the library. And then at the back of the library, you know, behind it, they see a backpack on the ground with its contents scattered. And then when they get to the backpack, they notice two large blood stains um, that could clearly be seen. And like the pictures, it's like in a pile of leaves on grass, like on the borderline between where the grass ends and the forests begin. So if it to be clear in a, otherwise pretty unclear environment like it, it was very clear there's also a no parking sign in front of the library that has a bloody handprint on the pole of it they obviously assume at that point that it is Queena's blood so of course while they're doing all of this the family and friends go to the hospital um from what her mother said she was seen by 13 doctors and none of the family knew her condition. Like, the only person that had really seen her was Priscilla when she found her behind the library. Detectives then later that day go to the hospital to interview her, but she is still unconscious. And then they start asking the family the general questions. Does she have an ex-boyfriend? Does she have any kind of problems with anybody? Is there any kind of arguments, like any issues at work or anything like that? Quina, her family had said that she had never even had a boyfriend. The only thing that they could think was, you know, she works at Amber Crumbie and Fitch. Maybe a customer got mad at her for something. That's the only thing they could think of. But they hadn't heard of anything in particular that would make them think that way. They're just like, okay, maybe, maybe somebody got upset. I don't know. So hospital staff had told the detective that they did not expect her to make it through the night. So the police are posted outside of Queena's door in the hospital as there is an attacker on the loose and they have no idea who it is or if this person has any kind of connection to Queena at all, whether they knew each other or whatever it is. So the next morning, April 25th, 2008, um, Queena is honestly barely hanging on. Only now is the family able to see her the next day. They still have no idea what condition she's in. Um, her sister Anna had said she was unrecognizable. Her eyes were swollen shut. Her jaw and nose looked to be broken from being beaten. Quina was not talking or looking around. Um, she, at this point, is in a coma. Um, she was covered in hundreds of ant bites. She was discarded on an ant hill. Um, and then Anna was asked by the nurses to assist with a rape kit, which that was something that I was confused about. I didn't know that family or friends would be asked to assist with a rape kit. I, I would think that a professional would do that. Maybe this isn't like um, a support person. Maybe? Yeah, maybe that's what that But means. she was asleep. I mean, maybe. I don't know. She, obviously that she didn't go into details about it. I, I can't fathom that she 
was a part of the rape kit, but I mean, being an emotional I support mean, support person makes sense. They could have just been like, "Hey, if she wakes up, like you be here to like comfort her or something." Like, I would like to have more detail on that if we could find it. If yeah. she was still unconscious, I see how that would be. Yeah, like what you said, Destiny. Like, oh, in case she wakes up, or they could be like, help take. Off. Having a witness in the room when you have a victim that is unconscious is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That, that makes, makes sense. a lot of sense to me. So they do the rape kit. Anna had asked her mom to leave and Anna was teary when she teary eyed when she said, I didn't want that to be something that my mom remembered. And unfortunately the test does confirm that Queena was sexually assaulted. That quick? Like, do they know how long it was between when this phone call happened and when they found her? 30 minutes? 35 minutes? Man, Jesus. that person. It was literally 30 minutes from when the call disconnected to when her friends and her family started getting there. That's crazy. 30 minutes. So they sexually assaulted her and killed her in that short So maybe about an hour from the time they found you her. You know, it, if you're a victim, that's not... A long time that's or that's not a short time that's a very long time right to Quina, that was probably the longest half hour of her life yeah and quite honestly you can do a lot in 30 minutes i mean this is a prime example of that well i mean that's why her body was dumped in the way that it was, mm-hmm. it was- if her if they got there within 30 minutes and they didn't find her till you know 20 15 30 minutes after they got there it was probably still in progress no they found her let me see. They found her roughly 40 to 45 minutes. So they were looking for her 5, 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. Mm. We're saying maybe that's why she wasn't passed at that point. Because maybe it was still happening when they showed up. So the person that had done this to her was like, oh, I got to hurry up and finish the job, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, and had to get out of there and couldn't complete what they want we're probably trying to complete you know and just did what they could i don't know well and remember she's not deceased yet she's in the hospital she's in a coma right so now at this point the assault that had happened 10 months prior um in june of 2007 um it is an unsolved daycare assault and at this point the community is basically terrorized with the thought of a serial rapist at large um because obviously they put out um information and and you know just details about the daycare assault and then they put out the details of queen's assault obviously that she was sexually assaulted now get this at the time there were 101 registered sex offenders living within five miles of the library Five. She's in Florida. She's in Florida. She's in, in Florida. Uh, this is a Brandon, Florida, which I'm going to assume is relatively close to Tampa. Okay, so it's not a big city, but maybe like a moderate sized city. Yeah, a hundred and one in a five mile radius from the library, That's and the police crazy. questioned every single one of them. The police wow. went to every single one of their doors. So the police were on it. They were yes. And this is still like the next day. And that close to a public library. At yeah. a public library. Behind a public library. Like, granted, yeah, at 10 p.m., but at a public library. This is so crazy. It was on a street like 
it's important later, but there's a Walmart that's like not even a block away and a McDonald's that's not even a So there's a lot of activity on yeah. the street. Yeah. Yeah, but that brings me back to what I said earlier was someone sitting there waiting for an opportunity because they they have easy access. There's women and children coming in out of in and out of there mm-hmm. regularly. Mm-hmm. And they can get out of there quickly with them being close to a public street. Just wait till you guys get to the end of this. I feel like that person was sitting there anticipating and waiting for an opportunity is what I feel Just like. Just wait. This is great. Yeah. So, 3 p.m. April 25th. So, the afternoon the next day. Queena wakes up. And, of course, she's screaming. She's fighting. She's pushing everybody off because she's waking up from being in a coma from being attacked and she finally is able to say what happened to me why can't i see did they find him police then question Quina, but unfortunately she has no memory of anything after getting out of her car and then Quina has broke my heart she asks her sister if she's still going to make it to prom that was scheduled for the next week yeah oh my gosh yeah so the police you know, continue doing their jobs. They do their normal searches. Who was she talking to? Um, they That's when they start looking through her phone records. Um, they get the details from the call from Rachel. Um, and then they put out a mass search to the media. You know, they put out the details of what had happened. Obviously, they're kind of, as they usually are, they, they don't put out all of the details, but they put out enough. So... Throughout the day, um, Queena would periodically wake up and ask if she's okay. You know, every so often, her family, her mom and her sister were obviously there. Uh, Then, unfortunately, later that day, she does start to decline. Um, Her mom was with her overnight, and she started having a seizure. They took a CAT scan and noticed that she had brain swelling. Um, She had been diagnosed with brain injury and needed to have surgery. So they did the surgery and then told her family that she needed to be put in a medically induced coma so that she doesn't have a lot of brain activity, which could cause an issue with the brain injury. Um, Doctors still, unfortunately, cannot guarantee that Quina would wake up. So with these tests, doctors told the detectives that Quina had a skull fracture, her nose was broken, and she had suffered several strokes. Her attacker had strangled her to the point where she had lost sight from being strangled. Detectives are now looking into this as, okay, is this the same person as the attacker of the daycare? So, they've put out all of the information to the media, and at this point, a young kid from Bloomingdale High School called in and said, at 9.30 p.m., him and his father drove through the Dropbox... And he noticed the kid on the bench and said that he knew him. His, his name is Kendrick Morris, a sophomore in high school. But he's like, hey, I know this kid. It's, it, his name's Kendrick Morris. The attack was at 10.08. So detectives then begin, they, they, get that, they get that information, and they then begin to interview everyone that put in a book in that Dropbox that night. One lady said she saw him there, not knowing who he was, but she saw the kid on the bench there at 10 p.m. She even offered him a ride home, and Morris said he was waiting there for his mother. So now at this point, Kendrick Morris, who was 16 years old at the time, is named as a person of interest. 16 years old. I mean, it's it's happened. It's not uncommon for it to be a teenager, but 
still very young for, to have either done that or be suspected of that. Like at 16, I was worried about if my hair was straight enough. Like 16? I was oh my God. not worried about my hair. I was boy crazy. So, <laughs> yep. <laughs> very boy crazy. I don't think that ever changed. And the 90s had a lot of really cute boys. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, detectives at this point do a background check on Morris and find out that he was actually arrested prior. For, get this, cruelty to animals. Fuck this guy already. That's a sign! It's a sign. And if you... Jesse, I don't know if you're into true crime as much as we are. We all know that that's one of the... What is it? Three it's one or of four the things. For, yeah. yeah. They didn't go into, and I didn't want to look up the details of what it was, but he was arrested prior for cruelty to animals. So, still April 25th, the next day, police are interviewing the staff at the library. And guess who walks in to the library? Mr. Morris. Mr. Morris. The guy. So, Morris goes off. He goes often to the library to use the internet to check his, get this, MySpace account. <laughs> hey, don't knock it. <laughs> I know. I had one. We all did. He is listed as a runaway. So police take him to the station while they contact his mother. Um, the detective says Morris was very mild-mannered, extremely polite, and extremely respectful. So a little later, Morris's mother arrives, and she refuses to allow detectives to question him. He's then released. Um, I believe what I saw at this time is it was 11.56. I think it was a.m. because I saw an A, but they had the timestamp cut off on the video. I believe it was 11.56 a.m. So at the back of the library, as they're kind of going through and, and looking a little closer and a little further, they do notice that there's blood spatter on the wall. So the way it's set up is the front of the library kind of comes out a little bit and then off to the left is where they went. And there's obviously another wall to the library. And on that wall figure, basically an arm's reach length, length away, they see blood on the wall. And then they find a Wendy's spoon that has been filed to a point on the ground by that blood mark on the library wall. A Wendy's spoon. A Wendy's spoon. Wendy's spoon. Yep. So they went and got a Frosty mm -hmm. and then decided that they were going to kill somebody. They decided the Frosty wasn't all that they, all the sweetness that they wanted. I guess. So early the next day, April 26th, Kendrick is now arrested based on the eyewitness testimony and a fingerprint that they were able to match to Kendrick off of that Wendy's spoon. And then police, of course, obtain a warrant for Morris's DNA. This kid. So now... It was him. It was his mm -hmm. bitch ass. So now family and friends are getting the news that they they think they caught who did it and they're shocked at the fact that this is a kid this is a kid. He's 16 years old. It's a 16-year-old yeah. kid. So he's in custody. We're going to fast forward a little bit to 2 weeks after the attack. Queena is still in a coma. The doctors decided to take her off of the medication that is inducing the coma and now they basically say we wait Doctors told the family, we saved her life, but her brain is already damaged. Anna would play Queena's favorite song, and she would see her smile. So, Anna's like, okay, she's still there. She's responding to things. But they, they have no idea how she's going to wake up. They have no idea what conditions she's going to wake up in. 
So the family stayed that whole time with her and she didn't wake up. So here it is. Another week goes by. So at this point, it's three weeks after the attack. Um, Doctors are honestly losing hope. The staff started working with Vanna, her mother, to prepare for Quina to be in a long-term care facility in a vegetative state. And of course, Vanna and Anna refuse the idea that Quina is going to be in a home for the rest of her life in whatever condition she is in. So the family's like, no, she's going to come home. She's going to stay with Vanna, her mom. She's going to be home. Can you imagine having to make a decision like that about your loved one? Your child? Mm-mm. You know. Your child or your sister. I mean, because having somebody in a coma, you know, you, you don't know if they're going to wake up. Yeah. The doctors and, don't know and, if they're going to wake up. And they don't know that. I mean, that's not a life. You no, know? it's not at all. For but anybody. at the same time, when you're you're hanging on for, you know, this person to wake up. Mm-hmm. Well, and at this point in my life, at 30 years old, I've had that conversation with my husband of if this is the option mm-hmm. or not being here, I'd rather not, not be, be here. here. But at yeah. 18 years old, yeah, that's not even a life thought in your you. mind. Yeah. yeah, You don't even think about, okay, hey, mom, if something happens to me, mm-hmm. I don't want to be a vegetable. Yeah, You don't think about that at all. Mm-hmm. Well, and a parent doesn't think, hey, you know, your parent doesn't think to say, hey, if you end up a vegetable, what would you like to do? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not really something we like to think about. No, but, you know, I think this is way before COVID, but I remember when when COVID happened, you know, we had that conversation of, you know, hey, what do you want to mm-hmm. happen if you do get really sick or if you do happen to pass? What, what kind of funeral do you want or service or whatever? You know, I mean, mm-hmm. those are those hard conversations that you unfortunately when you're talking about the good stuff, you have to remember, you know, hey, I got to take care of the bad stuff too. But at my age, but at yeah, your at, age, at, at 18, all of our age, that's oh, completely man. different. It is. It's completely different. Heart- I promise. How heartbreaking for the family. I promise. This is not going to end the way you guys think it's going to. Okay, go ahead. I was going to say, I can tell you as somebody that has had an exceptionally large amount of loss in my life, especially with people that were way too young to be taken. Uh, some of those conversations had been had with them and some of them did not. So as a family trying to navigate things like that, uh, yeah. When you were like, oh, like one of my brothers that passed away, he was only 17. Yeah. And he had never had that conversation with anybody. So we just kind of had to go with whatever everybody agreed to, to do with his remains because like you said, like it's 17, 18 years old, you're not gonna go, hey mom, yeah, you know, or hey dad, or hey sisters, or whatever. But I can tell you with having to experience that, I'm very much an advocate for you shouldn't you should always have those conversations with your family members, regardless of if you're old or young. Because tomorrow's not promised, unfortunately. Right. And that's and that's the sad part is like when you're that young, you're not thinking about that, Mm-mm. you know. I think you don't think about that stuff until you're older and you maybe you like have a a spouse or like, you know, maybe you're super close with your family or whatever. And then you're like, you know, mm-hmm. hey, like this is what mm-hmm. I'd want. I'm just going to say right now, since we're recording, uh, don't leave me a vegetable. Yeah, <laughs> same. I've already told my husband you I don't know, want that. It brings something else up too. When we were getting our, our um, benefits uh, through the uh, union they had a life insurance company come out and the life insurance company had a kit that you make records of your children in case they are abducted. Oh my God. And 
And yeah, so it's something for people to really think about, you know, what is the most current photo that you have of your child? Do you have maybe a lock of hair that shows what shade it is? Do you have Mm. all their information located in one space? And this is true of adults too. What if something happens to mom and dad and the 15 year old is the only one left? Mm -hmm. You have to have these you know, systems in place that are easy to navigate for anybody in the family in case yep. there's an emergency. Yep. And life insurance, I highly recommend life insurance. Me and mm-hmm. my husband have it because, again, you never know. If, mm-hmm. if your work offers it, great. But I highly recommend getting it separately, too, because the payout you yeah. get faster than if you go through your work. But it will... I've had family members that have lost everything because they didn't have life insurance, life insurance on man. their spouse or whatever. Well, that's the thing, too, is life insurance, usually it's great when it's unexpected, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, if my husband died today, like, what would I do? Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, I think I think now we both have life insurance through through our jobs, but still, like, what do you do? Well, and at this point, too, there's a... I really want to get one. There's a, a kit or a binder that's called in case something happens to me. Yes. And in this mm-hmm. kit, you put a lock of your hair. You put all of your fingerprints. You put your identifying information. You that's put exactly pictures of all of your tattoos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really, I really want one of those. I want one of those too. We should all just yeah. go and do it together because we're weirdos like that. <laughs> yeah. But this is something that, that just the average family should really think about. And especially oh, if sure. you do live in areas that are high in crime, especially if you do, like, for example, um, you know, this neighborhood in Auburn that my mother lives in. I remember she was saying something about walking somewhere. And I was like, oh, no, you do not. No, Mm-mm. You know, there's, I mean, anyway, people who live in those kind of areas should especially consider uh, doing that. I mean, anybody could be a victim at any moment. So, yeah. um, well, and a little fact about the daycare attack, the woman was 62. Oh so she was God. not like a young Finn. She was a 62 not year old young woman. People yeah. That are victimized like it's that. not. She was, she was raped, right? Yes. At knife okay. point. Yeah. Yes. I've heard mm-hmm. of stories where it's happened to women like in their eighties and the person mm-hmm. that did that to them is like 20, 30 years old. Oh yeah, it could it could happen. It could happen to anybody. Mm-hmm. People have weird kinks. Well, and also they lo- they also tend to look for people who are vulnerable sometimes mm-hmm. too. Like mm-hmm. who's more vulnerable than an old lady mm-hmm. who can't do much for mm-hmm. herself anymore? Mm-hmm. I mean, you everybody I mean? you can have your own kinks, but there are people that are willing to They're partake sick. in your kinks with you. True story. The, the internet is an is a wonderful place. If you got a weird kink, there is someone out there that wants you to. Do whatever your kink is to them at the end of the day. So the family decides that they don't want her to be in a home for the rest of her life. And then at this point, the family starts to see Queena facially react to them. She's still kind of asleep. Eventually, she would start laughing. She would start smiling. She'd open her eyes briefly. She'd become, over time, she became more aware of, aware of things, but she wasn't talking. So two weeks after being taken off of the coma medication, so four weeks, a month later, Quina is officially awake. She's not able to walk. She's not able to talk. She can't eat on her own or make eye contact. But as her sister says, but she can laugh and she would smile. So we knew that she was happy. So 
Back to the investigation. At this point, investigators have analyzed Morris's DNA, and it's a match to Quina's case. Kendrick, get, get these details, guys. So Kendrick, after attacking Quina, they see him on the video, the surveillance videos, goes to McDonald's and orders two Happy Meals. He's still wearing his bloody clothes, but he's covering it by wearing a big, like, sweater coat thing. He then leaves McDonald's, goes past the library, and goes to Walmart and shops for video games. He then uses a phone in the Walmart and calls a taxi and goes home. So there, the perpetrator of this crime walked past the police as they were doing their investigation at the library. Right after he committed the crime. Screw this guy. Oh, nonchalant, like, huh, da, 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 I'll clean up, have fun cleaning up my mask. Yeah, I'm hungry. Well, I mean, it just goes to show, you know, sociopath. He's a 16-year-old. Yeah. He, doesn't, he doesn't care. Well, I mean, a normal 16-year-old would care. True. I mean, true. They'd be freaked out and get as far away from the police as possible. Mm -hmm. But somebody who's calculated, somebody who has those tendencies mm -hmm. already, they know how to um, keep that energy yep. at bay. Mm -hmm. So Morris's DNA was also a match to the daycare attack. So they have now confirmed that Morris not only attacked Quina, but also attacked the 62-year-old woman at knife point at the daycare. He had basically put some kind of, I think it looked like a helmet, like a, a small helmet on, and like walked through the door, and they have like a little window, like a check-in window that's basically like a hole through a door, and he jumped through that hole in the door and attacked this woman, and it, I think they said it was really, really early, like when they opened he was that desperate for some... He was that desperate. So, fast forward, September 2010 is when Kendrick's trial for Quina begins. He's charged with sexual assault, battery, and kidnapping. Quina's family had decided not to bring her to the trial because at this point, she does have brain damage. She can't do pretty much anything on her own. Um, so, att Anna attended in her place. Um, Rachel did testify in court. So then on, on October 6th, so um, give or take a month later, juries deliberate for less than an hour on Morris's case. And he is found guilty on all charges. Good. And he was then later found guilty in the 2007 attack. He was 15 at the time of that attack at the daycare. He was sentenced to two concurrent 65-year terms. Because of changes to federal law regarding sentencing minors to life, Kendrick Morris got to request a resentencing to get a shorter sentence. Instead, he's just sentenced to life in prison. Uh, he will be eligible for parole at some point. I did try to find out when he's eligible, but I couldn't find a specific date or year. So I don't know when he's eligible. I mean, at this point, 2007, it's been almost 20 years. It's only been 13 years since he was actually sentenced. Um, at some point, he will he will be eligible for parole. Um, the detective did, did say that giving the details of the crimes, he probably isn't going to give it. So at this point, Quina, like now, Quina still lives with her mom. She's still alive and she requires constant care. I did find a website that is primarily for, 
you know, advocating for Quina. Um, they also do accept donations. Uh, her mother did estimate that it costs about $80,000 annually for Quina's basic care. Like, Wait, she's still alive? She's still alive. She's still alive. She has gotten to do so much. Anna said, if Rachel wasn't on the phone with my sister, no one would have known that she was even attacked. She would be laying in the woods behind the library, probably dead. Wow. Rachel, who was the person that was on the phone with her, stress expresses the importance of precaution of having someone on the phone. So if you are going to your normal grocery store or going shopping or dropping off books at the library and you notice someone sketchy, someone that makes you uncomfortable, have someone on the phone. And so she's expressing the importance of making sure that people know where you are. Make sure people know where you are, when you're expected to be home. If you see something that makes you uneasy, literally just having someone on the phone makes a difference. If nothing happens, cool, fine. You just got to talk for however long. If something happens, someone is there even on the phone to immediately know what happens. Yeah, those things could save your life. I feel like we should talk about that for a minute. Like, as women, that's that's a huge thing. Well, in this, this case in particular was terrifying to me. She was on the phone. She was on the phone with someone, and this kid still decided to attack her. Yeah. She was clearly on the phone with someone. Yeah. That didn't stop him. And that is going to be the first thing that I, as a woman or a person, is going to do. Okay, I'm going somewhere and I'm uncomfortable. I'm going to call my husband if he's not already with me. I'm going to call my best friend. I'm going to call whoever and say, hey, I'm at such and such. I'm a little weirded yeah. out. Can we be on the phone? You know, um, when I've sold things that are too large to take to somebody, you know, like Facebook selling, and they have to come to the house, I will FaceTime someone when mm -hmm. they come. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or always make sure there's another person there with you. That's not a bad idea. We're going to record another mini, probably a mini episode since we're here at my aunt's house. Um, kind of going over because we said in our first episode that I was worried mm. pre-Canadian beefcake coming. <laughs> she's alive. She's well. She's here. We're great. So here's the thing. Okay, this I, this, I literally cried at watching this. This is the cutest thing ever. And in my notes, in capital letters, I wrote cutest thing ever. So because of the attack, Quina did not get to go to prom. Well, PSA, she did get to go to prom. Get Aww. this. So she befriended a student at the high school, and I assume that it's in the same program that she volunteered with, the best buddies. And he asked Quina to be his date to his senior prom. And they had a video of it. And her face, I feel like I'm going to cry now, her face just lit up like she knew she knows what's happening she gets what's happening and his sign said queena prom would be unbearable without you oh my god that's so cute. i know i know a local seamstress altered her original prom dress from when she was supposed to go to prom she was taken to a nail salon she got her nails done she got her hair and makeup done and there's a video of her date putting the corsage on her wrist before they go to prom. You're going to make me cry. And oh she, she did. She looked so beautiful. A local Harley club reached out to her sister and escorted her to prom. Dude, that freaking dope. Her sister said hundreds, hundreds of bikers were there. 
I love that. That is amazing. So Anna, I know, I know. I like that's when I was like, oh my god, and I, I'm, I yeah, I cried when I first watched it. I watched this. And I showed it to Ruben, and I was like, "Just look, it's so cute! It's so cute." Bikers are big softies. They really are. Yes, they are. They really are. So Anna, Anna says at the end of this episode, instead of focusing on the why, we focus on the what now. So instead of worrying about why did this guy do it, why did this happen, why did this happen to Queena, what do we do now? Anna, at the end of the very end of the episode, she still has. Queena's voicemail greeting on her phone and she says that's the only audio that she has to hear Queena's voice anymore because I mean there's they probably didn't have many videos of her so does she not she can't talk or anything she can't talk she can't talk she can't walk she can't eat I mean she's in a wheelchair full-time she's if she's not in her wheelchair she's in a bed and so she's basically a ghost of herself but I mean she's still able to respond and react to the people around her like she's still i think it's fair to say that she still knows who her sister is she knows who her mom is she knows who her best friend rachel is but she can't communicate what her mom had said in the episode was it wasn't the back of her brain that was injured which is where all of the memory is stored it's the front of her brain that was injured which is where your reactions and your ability to communicate are, are in so she's able to on a very basic level react to people around her but she can't communicate with words and even in the pictures and videos that i've seen of her like she is she knows what's happening around her does she remember i don't know but she knows what's happening around her she's able to react immediately to you know, being able to go to Disneyland or Disney World, which she's done, being able to go to prom. Like, I, I highly recommend for everybody, look up a picture or a video of Queen of Fu, P-H-U, going to prom. Like, her face, if that doesn't make you smile and or cry, I don't know what will. Because she is so clearly, so incredibly happy being there. All right, so I'm sold on the fact that I need voice recordings of every single person that I love, including you guys, so I can listen to it. Because to never hear your loved one's voice again, um, like, like I still even have like voicemails of like my mom and people that have passed away that I go and listen to. Yeah. So and it's definitely like a struggle hearing this case, and like at the point when her family had to decide. Like, I don't, they didn't talk about whether they were approached with the decision of, do we want to keep her alive or not? But they were approached with, okay, we're going to put her in a home full time or not. Like, they, they, they do everything that they can to make sure that she has a life, make sure that she gets to do fun things. And, and I like to think that Queena remembers those things. She just can't communicate what's, what she's thinking or what she's feeling, but she remembers. You can clearly see that she experiences joy. Yeah. She does. And that's what's important. She does. If somebody is, you know. And that, yeah. I think, was the big line for her family of making the decision that we're going to keep her alive, number one, and we're going to take her home. So this case was different than the ones that we've ever talked about in that, as far as we know, with Kendrick Morris, nobody died. The 62-year-old woman was 
sexually assaulted at knife point. Quina was attacked at the library, but both of them are still alive. And honestly, I feel like I can say, thankfully, if it, like her, her sister had said, if, if she wasn't on the phone with Rachel, nobody would even know. Like, she wouldn't have been able to say, oh, there's this creepy guy at the library. So the police wouldn't have known to talk to other people that, that dropped off books. For all they know, somebody rolled up in a car and snatched her. You know, so being on the phone with her friend was a big reason, was honestly, in my opinion, one of the sole reasons why this ended the way that it did in Kendrick. Why she's still alive. Yeah, Kendrick Morris being arrested and being convicted. So, I mean, and he's going to be in prison, hopefully for the rest of his life. And and I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye on it to see if I can ever at any point find out when he's going to be eligible for parole because it definitely seems like he's going to try to get it. But I really honestly, I hate to say it, but I really honestly hope that he doesn't. I mean, he attacked two people in a year at the age of 15, 16. I, yeah, well, and that, and if, if he was able to do that at 15, imagine what he would do at 25 or 30 after having experience doing these things. Yep. If he were to have gotten away with it, for sure. And if he were to have gotten killer, away with you know? it, he, yeah. I mean, he... Or I maybe he did do something worse to somebody he prior, have, and yeah. they just don't know that it was him. He's and we don't know, but... To that. But honestly, they, they, they put in, like the detective said in the interview that he did on the, on this episode of Text Me When You Get Home, they put in the DNA that I that they got from him. And obviously, whenever they do... Whenever they have some kind of case or whatever, they, they get whatever data or whatever DNA that they can, even if they don't have anybody. And, and he's, you know, he even said they put his DNA into the system, into the unidentified perpetrator database, whatever mm -hmm. it's called. The only one that they he said it hit on. Ma matches. Ma matches, yeah. The only one that he said that it hit on was that one um, daycare attack so hopefully it was only those two not that those two were okay i but think it was that only if he two. had been um committing more crimes i think that he would have used a more sophisticated instrument if he were given the opportunity experience. to learn yes if he were given the opportunity to learn instead of filing have. down a wendy's spoon and like the picture a Wendy's spoon for my Well, and also fingerprints everywhere. Evidence everywhere. Like... Yeah. Do we know what he did with the, the Wendy's spoon? Did he actually, like, stab her or whatever with it? I didn't get details on... I think it's safe to say that she was stabbed because there was blood on this at the scene of the library there was a lot of blood because they could see it Fair. you know on the on the leaves or you know. i mean as as a, as a person there there was blood absolutely a lot no like there wasn't a clear handprint on anything but there was clearly blood on things so i think it's fair to say that obviously she was stabbed i don't know where i didn't i didn't look into the details of where um so she was obviously stabbed initially to, to have blood and like the detective had said she fought her entire way there 
you know, the, the blood on the sign looked as if she grabbed the, the pole trying to stop this guy mm-hmm. dragging her. She grabbed where she grabbed on a wall was like a corner. And it was, like I said, an arm's length mm-hmm. into the wall. She was grabbing the wall trying to stop this well, guy. Well, and you know, it's really smart because what it does is it leaves evidence behind. Yep. It's just like if you get attacked by somebody, you should scratch them because their DNA will be under, under your, your fingers, fingerprint or under, under your fingernails. fingernails. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, or bite them, bite them, maybe not break the skin, but at least, you know, I mean, if they're attacking you, break that skin all you want. Well, I mean, I'm, you know, bloody fluids. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Bite the shit out of them. Bite tooth and nail. Literally. That's where that phrase comes from. Bite tooth and nail. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, again, with this ep- this episode of this Text Me When You Get Home, which, again, if you haven't watched it, there's a lot of episodes, and a lot of them are gut-wrenching and terrible, but they Queena did everything right, and to her, it was her normal routine. She called Rachel when she left for work. That was just her thing, unless Rachel was working herself. Her mom knew when to expect her to be home. Mm-hmm. You know, her friends knew, Rachel knew where she was going. And it was probably a casual, like, yeah, I just got off of work. I got to, you know, run to the library and, and drop off some books before I go home. But it was enough that her friend Rachel was able to say she's at the library. She's at this particular library dropping these books off. You know, and as women, we have to take all these precautions no matter where we go or what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is one of those things where I, I get so tired of hearing you know, um, on TikTok, you'll see the videos of the men coming in and say, oh, it's not all men. And it's not, it's not all men, but we have to treat it like it's every man as Mm -hmm. women, because Mm -hmm. we are constantly being assaulted. At the end of the day, I have to look at other people around me. And if I can look at that person and say, they could overpower me on any level, I need to be cautious. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was, I was talking to mom about it and, you know, I was telling her like there, there definitely is a, I feel like a subconscious level of, I hate to even say the word of racism, but she brought up, she's like, if it were a white man or a black man, you would feel the same way. You know, you're walking down the street in downtown Seattle or downtown anywhere. And there's a dude, a person with a penis walking behind you on the other side of the street with their hood up on their sweatshirt. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what color their skin is. I'm going to be nervous. Yeah. And that, and I always well, feel like, unfortunately, yep. when I've run into that situation, it's been African-American males. But if it were a, if it were a male, a, a, per, a figure, I don't, I don't even have to know what gender or race or age they are. If they're walking on the other side of the street with their hood up and I can't see their face, I'm going to be on edge. Mm-hmm. You know, but. I personally have experienced situations that have happened to me that have been scary. Um, I mean, just a few months ago, I was leaving, I think I told you guys about this. I was leaving Fred Meyer and this guy was walking behind me and I was very aware that he was walking behind me and, um, he followed me to my car and I got in my car, closed the door, hadn't put my seatbelt on yet. And I was distracted. So I wasn't really thinking he knocked on my window and normally I would just like crack my window, you know, tell me why. My dumb ass that knows better cracked my door instead. Mm. Why did I do that? And this guy, I can't repeat fully what he said, but he basically asked me to help him sexually. No, thank you. And he was young too. He looked like he was maybe 20 years old. 
And as it was happening, I didn't fully register everything that he was doing. I just looked at him and was like, what did you say? And he repeated it. And I was like, no, get out of here, weirdo. When I should have cracked my door open because he could have just grabbed the door, flung it open and grabbed me or dumped on top of me or whatever. And after he walked away and I closed the door, it registered what he was doing. He had his phone out and he had porn images Mm. on his phone Mm -mm. and his hand and his pants. But it was nighttime, so I didn't see that at first. And I was like, man, okay, what am I supposed to do? So I waited till he was not near my car. And I went into the store and told the security about him, gave him a description and all that stuff, you know, because what if he were to do that to somebody else? One, the wrong person, or two, do that to another woman or a child or whatever. Um, I don't know if they ended up catching him or anything, but that's, I've had other things similar to like, to that happen to me. Um, Whether it's at a grocery store or walking down the street. I mean, I go for walks at the park every day at work during my lunch and there's definitely been times where it's just me and one other person at that park mm-hmm. and it's a dude and i'm like i'm getting creepy vibes right now or i'm walking yeah. up and down like looking in the bushes and stuff trying to make sure nobody's gonna jump out on me and stuff you know have you noticed how culture has changed around this with women because before it was always oh i'm probably just imagining things mm-hmm. Yes. You know, oh, I'm, I don't know why I'm getting the creeped out vibe. It's just my fear getting the best of me or whatever. But now that we are in an age where, for example, again, I'm going to bring up TikTok, you know, you see videos now of women sharing these stories mm-hmm. and we're all realizing that we're not alone. No. All of us, every woman that I know has had a negative experience that could have possibly not just been negative, but fatal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was almost kidnapped like three times when I was a kid. I was at Safeway not too long ago with my grandma. Very long story short, my grandma and I both shop aisle by aisle. And I didn't notice it until two or three aisles in. There was this gentleman who was older. I can absolutely acknowledge he was older. And he was going aisle by aisle in the opposite direction. And every time we would stop, he would stop. He didn't have anything in his hands, whereas my grandma and I were stopping at looking at stuff and we had a cart, so we had, but he didn't have anything in his hands. And as soon as I pulled my phone out to call anybody, I just pulled my phone out, he walked the other direction. And I had called my husband and I said, hey, I'm at this store. My grandma and I are both feeling uncomfortable. My grandma had actually verbally pointed it out to me like, hey, this guy is kind of whatever. And I had noticed it, but not really noticed it and then I was like okay she's also uncomfortable so I brought my phone out called my husband asked him to come and in that time we had gotten to the other end of the store and this same gentleman was at it was the bakery section which was like the same end of the store but like a good distance away and I looked over and I noticed that he was like his head was looking down at whatever he was looking at but his eyes were looking up at us He didn't have glasses, so I could clearly see that his eyes were looking up at us, but his head was looking down at that. And I was like, um, no, no, thank you. I'm, mm -mm." and as soon as Ruben, my husband showed up, we couldn't find him because Ruben and I were looking and I ended up going to a security guard and I gave the security guard there a description because this is at a store, which in the town that I live in is not, not a good place. It's not a good place to shop at. It's not a good place to be at, especially if you are any kind of woman by yourself. Vulnerable. Yeah. And 
And, and as soon as my husband showed up, he was gone. So I gave the guy a description, the security guard. I told him what he was wearing. You know, I, I could see his white hair, but he was wearing a black sweatshirt and like black either jeans or sweatpants. And, and like, I noticed as soon as my grandma pointed it out that when we would stop, he would like look over his shoulder at us. So even an older man that I, I know if I worked hard enough, I could overpower this guy, but there's the fear of, is this guy working for someone else? Is this guy reporting? There are two women alone. One of them is elderly on oxygen, clearly small enough that you could just lightly shove her out of the way. Because I wasn't worried that my grandma was going to get snatched. I was worried that my grandma was going to get pushed to the ground and and I was going to get get snatched. Yeah. Yeah. And that was just out of at a grocery store, taking my grandma to buy her a large chain grocery store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so one that's yep, yeah, exactly. It's crazy how like we have to like think about those things. Like they always say, you know, like put your keys in between your fingers and yep. don't have both yeah. of your headphones in your ears. Make sure you have at least one always available so you can hear what's around you. Mm-hmm. Always pay attention to your surroundings. Look in the back seat of your car. You know, make sure that there's nothing attached to your door handles of your car and stuff. And that's one thing on the intro of text me when you get home is they're doing like news snippets or whatever. And there's like a a tweet or something that says, what woman doesn't know the reference of holding your keys in your hand when you're walking to your car from the store? Mm -hmm. What woman doesn't know what that means? Holding your keys going to your car. I know that means I got a key between my fingers at a point out, you know. And, and with this case in particular, she went to the library to drop books off. You know, and sure, even her friend Rachel said she didn't need to get out of the car for whatever reason she did. And that's whatever reason it was, we're never going to know. She got out of her car and, and got, went to go get the books out of the back of her car. She was at a public library, which had, you know, surveillance cameras and whatever there. So... Did she do something wrong? No, she shouldn't have to worry about getting out of her car to get anything out of her. Like, no woman or anybody should have to worry about getting out of their car to go anywhere. But that's why, too, as a woman, I highly recommend watching Text Me When You Get Home. Because it's there, there's cases of, like, women getting in their car. And as soon as they open the door, a man is waiting behind another car next to them. And they either take them out of the car or shove them in the car and then drive off with their car with them in it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter. But I did yep. pull up on the video. Here is the notorious Wendy's spoon in the ground. Oh, dang. He really did sharpen that. He really did make it mm-hmm. like a knife. Wow. Like he broke the, the spoon part off and like filed it down. Yeah. It. I highly wow. recommend watching it. Um, the episode about Queena is on the first season. It is the last episode, episode 10. Um, but again, the whole series, the whole, the whole thing, if you can ever watch it, if you have Hulu, go watch it, especially as a woman or a woman in a relationship, because I feel like to being a married woman, my husband is only now that we're doing this understanding that this isn't foreign to me. I'm not, I'm, it's not unusual to me to be aware of my surroundings. Yep. Send the message out to all the ladies. Make sure your husbands, boyfriends, girlfriends, friends, family, someone going somewhere, somebody knows where you are at all times. Like one of my best friends, Sabrina, she's a single girl and she's going out meeting 
all kinds of people. She always tells me their name, her location, where she's going to meet them, what time she's going to meet them, when she's supposed to be done. And I always check that stuff to make sure. And vice, vice versa of like, if I'm going to do something, my husband's not with me, someone's not with me, I do the same thing. We have to watch out for each other and make sure that we are all safe and protected because that could save our life just like it did with um, well, and we need to raise the next generations to yeah. of males to understand that women are not property. Yeah. Women are not something that you assault. You know, um, having empathy and compassion, emotional health, emotional intelligence, and really, you know, raising our children in an environment that you know where we cause the least amount of trauma as possible, right? It's really terrifying thinking about having kids in this world. I don't want to raise my daughters to be afraid of everything. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to have to take the extra step to raise my sons to be like, Mm -hmm. I feel like if if I had sons, I would raise them to be like, if you see a woman alone, honestly, probably leave them alone, but keep them in your eye. And if something happens, Mm -hmm. because if you approach them Mm -hmm. as a woman, I'm going to be like, oh, whoa, I don't know you go away. Did, Did you guys hear about the woman being hit with the brick? No. In the face. Um, A man, um, she was, I think she was outside a club and she, um, she told a man no when he asked for her phone number and he picked up a brick and hit her in the side of the face. And there was a crowd of men nearby that did Did nothing. nothing. They did nothing. The fuck? I think her name was Ro, A-R-H-O. Was it here? No. Local? Oh. That's so messed up. Wow. Yeah. Most of the guys I know, if they were to see that, they'd be like, we're about to go get the beat down right now. Mm-hmm. That's good. But she like literally had her phone recording and she was yelling at these men, why have, why didn't you step in and do something? I mean, I understand the level of not expecting somebody else to step in for you. But as a, as a human, if I were there, I would have been like, whoa, what are you and doing? And that's the thing. Most women will step up because we're used to men. it. Because we're used to it. Men don't step up. You know, and, and they're, you know, supposed to be our quote unquote protectors, but yep. they're supposed to protect us from them. We have to protect ourselves. We have to protect ourselves. Would, but I feel like each other. a lot of them would just sit back and watch because they don't know what to do. And they're like, oh, well, I, I don't mm-hmm. want to get involved. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was going to say when I was a teenager, I can remember, I think it was twice, two incidences where I definitely was almost kidnapped. And as a, a kid, I was... I think 12 and 13, both times that it happened. And thank God nothing happened. But yeah, it was still, everything that happened in those incidents is still very burned into my brain. Very vivid. Yeah. still like, holy crap, Mm -hmm. I legit was almost kidnapped. I mean, one incident, I was literally walking down the street because I missed the after school activity bus. So I was having to walk home Mm -hmm. in middle school I was a little bit further away and I saw this car drive by me. They turned around and came back by me and were like honking the horn at me and whistling at me and stuff. This is a car full of grown men and I'm like 12, 13 years old at the time. Icky. That happened to me too. Yeah. That happened to me too. <laughs> Often. I took my headphones out because I had my, you know, I had my Discman or my Walkman with me. At a girl. So I took my headphones out. Yeah. <laughs> Probably listened to Backstreet Boys most likely. Probably. I don't want it that way. <laughs> So then I heard them driving by me this way, right? Mm -hmm. And then I heard their car turn around again behind me and on the other side of the street. And that third time, I 
booked it. Mm-hmm. I took that next turn on the street and I ran into this person's yard and they had this big boat in their yard and I hid behind the boat and then they turned down the street that I ran down and drove up and down two or three times. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, it was an elderly couple's house. This elderly couple came out because their dog was barking at me and I'm literally shaking hiding behind the boat in their yard mm-hmm. and they're like what are you doing here are you okay i was like i think these guys were just trying to kidnap me <laughs> yep it was scary <laughs> so as we normally do uh we know in this case that thankfully nobody passed away um, we want to give a moment of silence to the victims of this case i unfortunately was unable to get any identifying information on the daycare worker that was assaulted um But obviously, Queena is still with us, but her life is never going to be the same. So we want to give a moment of silence to the woman at the daycare that was assaulted and to Queena and her family, of course, who has to take on this new life having Queena. So we're going to have a moment of silence for those two victims. So I think that's going to finish this episode on Queen of Foo. I would like to take the time to thank my aunt Jessie for being a part of this episode. And we are going to be posting another episode, probably a mini extra episode, where we do what us girls do and have a conversation uh, with Jessie, who has a different perspective than all of us. Um, so thank you, Jessie, for being a part of it. I really appreciate it. She's the only one that gets to call me Jessie. Every, to everybody else, <laughs> she's Jessica. Or Which Jess. is so weird Jess to me. Jess is okay if I know you. It's so weird to me. You are Jesse. I don't like calling you Jessica. Like I said earlier today, when I say Jessica, I feel like you're in trouble. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm Jessica not in trouble for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining. And thanks everybody for tuning in and listening. And we will talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Toodles.